When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And time, and time again. Break up the music. Charge a glass. This nation is going to dance all night. Can you swap goals in a 1-1 draw? The best footballer's name you've never heard before. Assistant referees avoiding the ball like it's diseased. The geographical hierarchy of English football. Tiny ways of keeping yourself amused during televised games you don't really care about. The anti-urging of a centre-back to shoot from 30 yards. Journos tweeting goal updates from games everyone is watching anyway. And the pseudo-throw-in anxiety complex. Brought to your ears by Goalhanger Podcasts. This is Football Clichés and your Mesut Harland Dicks. Hello everyone, welcome to Football Clichés. This is the listeners' Meza Harlan Dicks for January. I'm Adam Hurry on this panel to go th- to wade through your nightmares and love affairs of football. First of all, Charlie Eccleshare, how's it going? Very well, thanks. Tottenham getting their transfer business done early for January presumably means you're getting your business done early for January. That's quite handy. How do you feel? It's great. I'm really pleased they're doing it. It's like getting your homework out of the way early in the weekend and then you can enjoy the rest of it rather than spending all of it low level thinking oh I should really be doing that and you strike me as someone who probably did their homework slash coursework slash dissertation like in good time as well yeah I'd love to say I didn't it's way I remember when people would be like oh you know been up all night sort of thing to me when it was you know day that you had to hand in coursework or dissertations and I'd have to sort of go along that like yeah 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 in reality I yeah got it done a couple of weeks oh, early now I've got and- right 20,000 words on Ange Postacogli by tomorrow <laughs> oh will I do it yes you probably will yeah, exactly. um, yeah. and it's a lovely welcome back to David Walker how are things yeah things are good Things are good. Apologies for my for my absence at the start of 2024. But uh, as as you told the listeners, I've been in I've been in Las Vegas for my sins at a wedding. Because I, I, I thought you were over there trying to secure us a gig at the Venetian or something like that. <laughs> well, you never know. One day I was surprised by, actually by by the level of some of the performers who are who have <laughs> secured residencies. So you never know. You never know. One day, but there was something happened to me while I was out there, which is an example of just how much this ridiculous podcast has sort of penetrated my my brain. And I could think of nothing else when this thing was happening. So we were in. We were staying in Caesar's Palace one of the big hotels in, in Vegas. And we were kind of various members of the wedding party. We're congregated in, in the bar, which is kind of next to the lobby. Lots of people, lots of things going on. And a couple of the guys who we were with left to go to the Sphere, the, the big new mad Sphere thing in Vegas. And then... Good second mention, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I noticed, after, just after they'd left, they, they went out the lobby to get a taxi to, to go down to the Sphere. And, you know, when you're in America, they're so obsessed with doing the tips and all that. If you pay by car, they, they take your card and put it in like a leather folder and give it back to you because they, you've got to kind of do the tip on the receipt and then they've got to take it off and all that stuff. It's a complete faff. But it does result often in, in us Brits forgetting that we've given them the card and that they haven't given it back. So I noticed that this guy's card was just left on the bar. He'd only just left, though. So I thought there's a chance that he's still outside in the lobby. We're really close. I'll, I'll get the card. I'll run over there. I'll give it to him quickly before he gets in the in the cab. And when the, with these Vegas hotels, like these massive lobbies, there's just people everywhere. There's like people checking in, checking out, people doing their luggage with like the porters, taxi queues and stuff. So I've got this card. I'm running through, literally running through a crowd of bodies. And I see the guy who has forgotten his card and I didn't know his name so I only just met him so I was sort of going mate mate trying to get his attention and basically I I I ran through a crowd of bodies brandishing his bank card and it was a Monzo and it was red and I <laughs> I just held it up to him as if I, I literally brandished it and said mate mate your card your card but it, I did feel like a referee running through a melee to send off somebody who just headbutted someone you should have told him to turn around and show him show you his number on the back <laughs> Like a proper old school ref. <laughs> Good to see the instinct kick in. So, in summary, you d- you instinctively believe that that was the most efficient way to issue him his card. Yeah, it was instinctive. It, you know, when you're holding it, it was just you know, whatever. What other way do you hold a a card? You can't kind of hold it in your fingers. You have to brandish it. Hold it. Hold it on the corner like it's a, a yellow or a red card. And that was yeah, that was the way. I just I just love this moment that it dawned on you that that's what you were doing. <laughs> But yeah, well done. And and you got it back to him. And that's that's the the happy ending for the story. And that was your highlight of your trip to Las Vegas, was it? Uh, one of them. <laughs> right. Speaking of trips away, the Football Clichés Tour in 2024. Tickets have already sold like hotcakes. It's only Birmingham and Leeds still left, really. Um, so get your acting gear in the Midlands and over on the Emerald Isle uh, because we're coming to you with a great live show. See you there. Go to myticket.co.uk to pick up your ticket for that. Right, and before we get stuck into Meza Harland Dicks, little adjudication panel for you. Dave, you weren't here for this, but there was a little mystery from the FA Cup at the weekend. Someone spotted that Arsenal's match balls had LCFC written on them. These were um, winter-style FA Cup match balls specifically. And uh, we were trying to pick apart where on earth they would have inherited slash stolen them from and, and how many degrees of separation, how many, you know, how many, how many fences it had gone through between the stealer and the recipient. And um, the uh, end result of this, Charlie, is that Joe Smythe gets in touch and said it was just simply London Colney FC, where they train. A good, a good solution and almost certainly the correct answer. But still a bit weird. The like, FC bit is weird. Yeah. Like, if it was just LC, I think we could have probably worked that out. Especially but it's not from the training from... ground. It's from the football team London Colney FC. Right. But why yeah, do so they I... have FA Cup balls? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Do, do, do London Colney FC use the training ground? I'm yeah. I'm. I'm gonna th- I assume that they do. It's a bit like Queens Park at Hampton. They just have the rights because that's you know they're there. Maybe. Or um, has one has one gone over the fence or something? <laughs> and then they scribbled it off and then gave it back. <laughs> maybe. 
the plot thickens yeah, that, slightly that's, there. I, I thought that was a slam dunk initially, but there are some wrinkles to that. There really are. Uh, as there are to this, this is from the uh, Norwich City official website. It came from Jack B. Um, details about their FA Cup replay against Bristol Rovers. It says Norwich City's FA Cup third round replay against Bristol Rovers will take place on Wednesday, January the 17th, kickoff 7.45pm. Here come some details about the first tie. Ashley Barnes and Grant Ward swapped first half goals in a 1-1 draw at Carrow Road on Saturday. What? Swapped goals? Charlie, this is disgusting. <laughs> Actually disgusting. Swapped goal. I mean, traded blows is a thing, but you can't swap goals. Exchanged. Is that something you hear? You ex- they exchanged goals. You kind of that, see it when there's sort of the ebb and flow of a game, like end-to-end stuff. They might have sort of exchanged blows in that respect, but you don't. You don't. You, you, or you trade blows, of course, mm. but you don't swap goals. You don't. You certainly don't. You don't. And you certainly don't exchange your trade goals. I don't like it. Is I mean, this mm. is a completely unnecessary way of saying a one-one draw. It is odd. It's that de- is definitely odd. Unless Barnes and Ward pre-agreed it in the tunnel beforehand. Should we get one each today? You get one. I'll get one. No, definitely not. I uh, don't like it. Uh, it. It suggests a transactional nature, as you say, and I um I, th- I think football is more chaotic than that. Um, next up from Tuesday's pod. We were talking, Charlie, about the threshold of it's just like playing Brazil. Here's a curious variant on this um, to do with an individual player. This came from Shane Doyle, and it's uh, Shamrock Rovers playing Bohemians back in the day. And watch this play here by Gino Brazil. A lovely one-two with Stephen Gagan right in the clear and a great goal for the centre-half. Just the kind of football Shamrock Rovers have been playing all day and how they deserve that breakthrough 26 minutes into the second half. All I really want to revel in here, Charlie, is that there was a sort of 80s, early 90s Irish centre-back called Gino Brazil. (laughs) Possibly the coolest name in football at that time. Gino Brazil, a ginger man. I, I want to throw into the mix as well. Yeah, I'm just looking him up now and seeing if there's what his kind of heritage is. No indication. Um, there's no indication, is there? No. His name I mean, is Gino Brazil. I always thought that even with Alan Brazil, that it was mm. kind of quite um, incongruous. But yeah, Gino is a first name. Wonderful stuff. Furthermore, Dave, Shamrock Rovers fans used to sing It's Just Like Watching Brazil at this individual. How do you feel about the, the song itself being sung at a player? I mean, obviously the name... The name clinches it but it doesn't quite work does it really because you are watching brazil but <laughs> he's back you may or may not be like watching brazil right brazilian centre-backs was he particularly brazilian with his play according to this clip striding forward exchanging a one-two and then slotting home great stuff but yeah what a name what a name never heard of him wish i'd had did ipswich fans sing that about alan brazil back in the Must back in the done. 80s in his heyday Must gary brazil is there a relation both ginger men. Is, G- is Gino Brazil Irish? Is he Scottish? I think he's Irish. He is Irish. But yeah, just incredible name, really, above everything else. Um, finally, for the adjudication panel, this came from Singers. He says, I know the thing is usually footballer names in old music clips, but how about a music name in an old football clip? So my question to you is, which near algorithmic euphoria merchant pops up here during Leeds 2, Manchester United 4 in 2022? With Jaden Sancho found by Fred. Fred again. <laughs> a straightforward one, perhaps, but nice to see. I see you flipping the tables on it, really, isn't it? Yeah, good stuff. Should get the clip to uh, to Fred again. I bet he could he could splice that into one of his live performances. Turn into an absolute banger, no doubt. Right, listeners, measure Harlan Dix for January. A bumper crop 
of contributions and delving back into the archives as well for some that have been left over. Uh, an absolute feast to choose from. It took me a long time to whittle it down to six, seven, in fact, as it will turn out. We kick off our fascinations with a very windy Tommy C. My one for this month is a combination of both a love and a hate, and I don't actually know where I sit, but it's the length to which linesmen go to avoid kicking the ball. The ball rolled towards them, they will like hop out of the way. And I love it because when it happens, it is hilarious, but equally, just kick the bloody ball. Well, let's, let's deal with the facts here, Charlie. They are clearly instructed not to interfere with play, and play obviously includes the, you know, the gathering of a ball to to restart play so I can kind of understand it but there's something slightly pathetic about the way they dodder around it and make sure they don't touch it yeah but I do respect them for their dedication to you know we, we complain when refs make it about them you know like Mike Dean so I think we've got to respect when that their dedication to sort of just being observers and bystanders and not getting involved Dave this is obviously a very precarious time to be a referee you get a, you get abused for pretty much anything that you do you know if if they did sort of go the other way and start being helpful and kicking the ball back it would open a whole can of worms sort of bias wise wouldn't it can you imagine the uproar exactly yeah we've seen situations where like Mourinho or Guardiola has like gone over to a ball boy to congratulate them for getting the ball back quickly or whatever Mm. you could Mm. see like Mourinho going up to a linesman and shaking his hand ironically if the linesman had like trapped the ball and then the player had got the throw in quickly or whatever but I I have seen like uh, an example of this recently at a Watford game I think it was one of the night games recently against Ipswich I think maybe it was and the ref I think had been getting a bit of stick for, for whatever reason in the second half and there was a situation where I think Watford, were, Watford had a corner and they, they'd got one of the balls off the little cones had placed the ball on the on the quadrant for the corner and then the, then the ball that had gone out got thrown back onto the pitch like over the ball boy's head and went onto the pitch there's two balls on the pitch and it kind of came to the ref and the ref kicked it off or tried to kick it off but scuffed it and, oh. and, it, and, it, and it didn't quite go off the pitch oh, but he didn't no. but he didn't then go and get it you know, finish the job. The ball would have to come over and the crowd were going, ah, oh, ref, come on. Like it was late on. I think we were chasing uh, an equaliser. So there, there is that. If you don't do it right, you just open yourself up to a whole another layer of abuse from the crowd. Ridicule the from game. the crowd. They yeah. haven't played the game. He scuffed it. Don't get involved. Don't make it about you. I think, I guess, I guess the most extreme scenario here, Charlie, the one that probably winds Tommy C up the most is when the ball comes to a complete standstill next to a lino and... They could conceivably just quickly toe poke it to a player who are like three yards away, barely even affect mm. the flow of the game, and they're sort of steadfastly not doing it. That must take a fair bit of discipline, I think, for a linesman, as you suggested. Yeah, and I think yes, discipline, but I think it's probably just so deeply ingrained in them. It's just, just not don't something. Touch that, it. Don't touch yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think they wouldn't even stage. consider it in a way. I mean, that's rule one of being a linesman, isn't it? And of course, they're wearing astroturf trainers. So shouldn't be allowed to kick a professional football at the top level. It's like on Sunday League when you're, you know, if you're a sub or if you're the manager or whatever and the ball comes to you for an opposition throw in and it's that close to you that like you can't time waste. You, you have to give it back to them. Like it'd be, it'd be too obvious not to give it, just flick it back to them or just, you know, nip it up to them. So I think it's that surely the linesmen, there must be an impulse in them that want to do it as well. Very interesting example you used there because um, kicking the ball back to the opposition or indeed your your teammate when you're a sub in Sunday League is a great way to just feel involved. I mean, uh, I remember vividly quite recently when you rolled me off as a sub 
for Ribblesdale Rovers. Had some hope that I might be able to come back on, but my further contributions were limited to chipping the ball quite neatly back into the hands of people who were taking throw-ins. And uh, I feel that's quite an important job. Uh, but I, I drew the line at running quite far to get it. Like, I don't think that's my <laughs> job. I, I just sweep up. You shouldn't have to break stride. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're there, I'll do it. But yeah, Absolutely. you're not, not, you're not going out your way. Why would I? Why would I? Right, second fascination this month comes from Ali Mason. My footballing fascination is the bizarre specificity that is given to the geography of football grounds. For example, a Brighton home game would be described as taking place on the south coast, but you would never, for example, describe a Liverpool home game as taking place on the west coast. If you were talking about a Sheffield United home game, you would say that was taking place in South Yorkshire, but you would never describe a Bournemouth game as taking place in Dorset. Why is that? What is the deciding factor in how these areas are described? We've touched on this before, Charlie, or the South Coast particularly, but I think this is a very nice opportunity for us to revisit this and do it definitively. I guess what my first question is, what takes precedence? I feel like bodies of water are the most crucial thing here. If you're near the sea or a river, that's that's it. That's going to trump everything else. Yeah, I get. I mean, think of Merseyside as well. That's obviously another one. Yeah, South Coast is big. Tyneside, yeah, Weirside. Ty- yeah, yeah. They're all pretty much staples, aren't they? What is it about the South Coast particularly, Dave, that captures people's imagination so much in these circumstances? Is there nothing more notable around than that? Well, he mentioned Bournemouth in, in the example like never being described as there from Dorset, which is true. But I think they they will get described as South Coast, won't they? Bournemouth? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, for so, sure. So will Brighton, with Portsmouth and... Southampton to a lesser extent, I guess. But if you go round the round the British Isles, you've got your Newcastle and Sunderland, which is just northeast. You wouldn't describe them as east coast. They're, they're no. northeast. They're obviously northeast. Hull, I suppose, you know, they are they're East Yorkshire. That's about as close as you get yeah. to East Coast side. There's there's a real lack of the east the east coast of England is not a footballing hotbed, really. You're Grimsby's in Lincoln's Boston United or whatever. But again, yeah. to describe them as coastal, well Grimsby, I suppose, are, but it's not it's not the predominant thing that you'd think of East Anglia for, for Ipswich and Norwich but then like on the west side obviously because Wales just sort of complicates the whole thing I thought England, you were about to say gets in the way but yes well, it kind of does in terms of England's we don't have a west coast as such we have the northwest or the or the or the west country and I, I suppose there is just an obvious there's an obvious dominant feature for every club geographically there isn't there isn't a uniform approach maybe the south coast is just the best coast Charlie it I, is I think there's something about it being seen to be quite evocative. It's you a talk busy coast. This. It's a busy coast. There's lots going on. Coast generally, you know, comes up images of, you know, people holiday there for the coast, you know, for sort of summer coastline stuff. So I think there's this idea that it, it conjures up images of a, a kind of trip, uh, a day out that sort of thing in the way that yeah you would because obviously Norfolk and there's Norfolk and those sorts of places but I don't I don't think they're associated so much with a kind of you know it's not like a summer holiday type jaunt in the same way that a south coast is thought about and of course Brighton and Bournemouth just being lumped together as South Coast clubs whenever they meet. Or not quite called a derby, but just this this South Coast clash. It's like, come on. Both sets of fans are like, no, we're not even close to each other. This is absurd. Okay, but finally, I want to nail down a hierarchy here. Body of water comes first. So if you're by the coast, you're a South Coast, you're a ex-coast club. Then maybe river comes next or parallel. So 
you're by the river, you're, and in some cases they're official names. So Tyneside is, you know, a fairly official kind of area. So they would use that. After that, if you've got no water to play with, Dave, what are you going next? You're going, you're going county and then probably region of county. So South Yorkshire, because again, that's an official postal district kind of situation. So Yorkshire definitely, but but not counties are a strange one because you know I don't think you would necessarily. Like the North West, you, you wouldn't really describe Manchester United or Manchester City or Liverpool or Everton or whatever, you know, Lancashire outfits. As yeah, you don't think you don't see North West much in football, Charlie. That's true. But you, but you do. I think you actually probably get described as North North West would get used more than the than 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 Lancashire. I think sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Actually, yeah. no, yeah, I think North West. It will, you know. That will be held up as because that because that's such a kind of hotbed, you know. That that's a hard place to go and win games, more specifically rather than the north. I think you, you'll hear that. I mean, Arsenal went on a really bad record where they hadn't won in Merseyside or Manchester for ages, uh, and I think it was until they beat Everton earlier this season, and that was kind of you know the sort of break their northwest hoodoo. Uh, <laughs> what which a is, hoodoo that which is. Which is kind of ridiculous, but. You need you need to have very strict parameters. I think Northwest is too vague. We we shouldn't we shouldn't um, finish this discussion without considering how Gary Weaver would interpret this situation. I feel like he would he would go for like if he was commentating on a Blackburn game, you know, anyone he he would probably drop in and and they come to this part of Lancashire and they have planted their flag. You know, he'd definitely do that sort of thing. Yeah, we're a War of the Roses merchant. Mm. Yeah, 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 he would evoke definitely that, and obviously London takes care of itself. You know, north, south. There's a, there's a concentration of clubs that makes it necessary, I think, as well. But you never hear Thameside. Do you? Oh, Fulham though. Fulham are often evoked to be in and around the Thames, aren't well, they? Well, but, so, but not not described in that way. It would. It, it's just always remarked upon how nice the walk to the ground is. Right. That's enough geography today. Um, the third fascination of football. Love this one actually comes from Edward Pullen. My little niche love for football is when you're watching a game that you've got no vested interest in and a player gets booked and you get the opportunity to play this little game with yourself where you bet on how many bookings they've accrued across the course of the season. It just makes those really mundane games all the more exciting, especially when you get it right. I'd love to know what ways you have of keeping yourself interested in games that you have absolutely no interest in but you're still watching it for some reason. Two strands to work with here, Dave. First of all, I might start playing this game because inevitably when a player gets booked in a Premier League game, they will, little delay, and then they'll turn the number round or whatever, a little badge round, and it will show the number of bookings they've had this season. A fairly useless stat, unless it's one of your own team's players and you think, oh shit, are they near the five? Like, and then it feel, you get a bit anxious. It's like, has it been, has it been reset yet? Are they going to get a ban? <laughs> um, it, I think it's an extra layer of anxiety that I don't need finding out that one of my players has accrued quite a few bookings. I, I must confess, this is never a game I've played. Uh, Edward Pullen, obviously not a betting man, because um, that's how I en- en- entertain myself <laughs> in games that I have nothing to do, uh, right. no interest to care about. But I don't watch my team on TV that much. Can still do it for neutral games. Still do it. Yeah, but the anxiety is different yeah. if it's not your yeah. team, right? Would be quite a fun game though, Charlie. Guessing how many bookings a player's got. It'd be quite a boring game, admittedly. I've not done it. I'd say the closest thing I have to that is when that graphic pops up with the penalty, their previous penalties, and you get a little sort of ball of where it's gone. I yeah. try and quickly remember those penalties, <laughs> especially a, 
especially a missed one. Uh, <laughs> no one's competing that, with that. When, Who are you playing against? <laughs> <laughs> very much just in my own mind. And you've got very little time to do it, but you know, you can you can have a good go. Well, I suppose you could do the same with bookings. You could top them up in in, in <laughs> your, try, try in your mind. Work it out, yeah. Point to various areas of the country where they have Yeah, so there was that one there. There was that one there. Was that one there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Booking on the south coast there. <laughs> um I've got a couple of um personal options for enjoying games as a neutral and then really are games I don't care about uh, some of these are historical I haven't played them for a while um, this one I'm slightly embarrassed to uh, explain but I'm going to do it anyway uh, me and my brother used to play something called the buzz game uh, when we were watching a game live on TV one of us would make a noise while something was happening in the game for something very specific and that the noise would stop and the other person would have to guess what we were buzzing about. Uh, it would range from high-level things like the ball being in a certain half of the pitch. Pretty easy. That's level one of the buzz game. <laughs> right through to, I don't know, one of the linesmen being in shot at any stage. And uh, obviously the niche it gets, the harder it became. Obviously, it descended into sibling squabbles. Can you give us an example of the buzz sound you would make? Uh... <laughs> It was exactly that pitch. Very nasal. Yeah, because you've got a fun game, but I can see, yeah, I can see it descending into arguments very easily. Yep, and that, that it did. Um, more contemporarily, I often consume a lot of football, Charlie, through, um, through sort of Sky Go watching online. Now I'm completely acclimatized to the fact that it's behind the behind mm. real time, so a good ninety seconds <laughs> in some cases. Now, if I know a goal has been scored via Twitter, I'm sitting watching the game on Sky Go, and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking. I'm going to pretend to myself that I don't know. <laughs> so I'm watching the build-up. Hmm, okay. Here we go. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I'm Interesting. Like, how would I have acted if I didn't know that? Like, just, I, I imagine, I'm kidding myself. Absolutely kidding myself. But I really put a straight face on and go, oh, this looks promising. Oh, and then, yeah, a, a futile game. Uh, and uh, what a life I'm living. But it depends how far back your stream is from, from, from real time. So sometimes you find out so early, you're like, How? How is this yeah. going to be a goal? I don't even... Yeah, because no, if you find out soon enough in advance, you're like, okay, well, whichever team is attacking, they're going to mm. score here. But yeah, when you're so on, you're like, that still isn't a guarantee. Who knows well, what could happen in the next 90 seconds? Well, it's a combination of the classic lag window, which is between 90 seconds and two minutes on a good day, combined with the you know, transitional nature of modern Premier League football. The ball changes hands a lot. There is just no way of knowing. A team could be attacking. It could still be them who scores, but the ball will change hands and change ends in that time. So I've really got to, um, I've really got to play along with it. And uh, uh, when it's your own team that scores, having to suppress the surprise is pointless. An absolute waste of time. <laughs> but um, thank you, Edward Pullen for one of the nichest ways of enjoying a neutral game that I've heard. I want to chuck in a little bonus one here, uh, just because it's the weirdest little fetish we've ever had in Mesoholodics. And I think we can just breeze past it, but I, I am enjoying it nonetheless. This came from Franny Smith. My fascination of football is when a player gets the paint of the lines on the kit or the boots. Like if they've done a got to the byline, cross one in, slid and tore up the back or last ditch tackle. And yeah, love it. It's happened to them, um, Lucas Paqueta, twice for West Ham when they've been on Sky. I think one was against Everton. Yeah, just love it. He got paint all up his clad and kit, and it's just, it's, it's boss. <laughs> it, it happened to Lucas Paqueta twice, has just ended me. I'm sorry. <laughs> has he got a spreadsheet, this guy? <laughs> How can you remember one of them and not the other? <laughs> If you're that into it, absolutely baffling. Charlie, how could this how could this elicit any pleasure from someone whatsoever? I do remember there being a game or possibly even a small micro period where this was happening quite a lot. Uh, I've got no idea why. Maybe it was in a different competition. Maybe it was in Europe or something. 
the thing I did enjoy was that there's something quite funny about the kind of amateurishness of that with how pristine the Premier League, you know, everything's so yeah, tightly sure. controlled, all the kits and everything are, you know, they've got their shirt, shirt sleeve sponsors and everything and every um, kind of inch of it is probably battled over. And then you've just got this kind of really ungainly Sunday League style splodge of white. Uh, I did enjoy that contrast. Yeah, and if, if someone gets it on their forehead or something like Dave and they're yeah. just running around with the with, you know, chalk on their forehead. You think, do they know? Would you wipe it off if you did know? Or maybe it looks makes you look grittier. Hard. I don't know. Um, Would it come off? Would it come off if you wiped it? You'd need... I don't know what it is. You'd I don't need know. Some, I, some lubrication, I think, perhaps, to get yeah. rid of it. I, I do sort of identify with this. I quite... Not, not necessarily just chalk, but <laughs> the... In the modern game, when you see a player covered in mud, and I think I, I remember... Okay. Joe Linton the other day got I was going to say muddied. Joe Linton, yeah, in the Newcastle yeah. uh, Liverpool Newcastle game a few weeks ago, mm. and it's nice to see that on mud, that modern pitches, it sort of reminds yourself that they are still they are still grass and mud. They are they can still cut up. Yeah, still there, still real stuff. Franny Smith didn't let this one go. Um, he messaged me a follow up the other day. It was of Chelsea's Ian Matson rolling around on the touchline at Stamford Bridge. He messaged, could be the greatest one ever, this, for my obsession. Hand, arm and legs all got the paint on. Um, <laughs> sort of Italian hand wow. symbol emoji twice. <laughs> it's a little bit sordid, actually, now. Really odd. Really odd. Leave him to it. Enjoy what you enjoy, is what I say. We'll be back in a moment with your irritations. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Right, welcome back to Football Clichés. We've done your footballing fascinations for January. Now let's hear your irritations. The first one comes from Rob Gilbert. My football irritation is uh, something I call the, the Vincent Company effect. It's when a defender strides out from defence and you need a goal and they move forward and forward and forward and every single person in the stadium knows what that defender's going to do they're going to shoot they're going to try and crack one in from 30 yards just like Vincent Company did against Leicester and we all know the ball is going to fly over the bar and you're going to give away possession straight back to the other team it's so obvious and it's the most frustrating thing to see now, Charlie, I think there are some layers to this for us to explore. But first of all, this is a fairly mainstream irritation. Uh, this, this, this is, to me, is up there with short corners and passing it around at the back. Like, this is an obvious thing that fans hate. And I'm I'm completely on board with it for that reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I think there's also been a slight backlash to this because part of the reason uh, people hate this is because it's like the chances of scoring are so minuscule. The the backlash to that is like oh you know all the sort of data heads ruining football you can't ha- you can't just have a pop of goal anymore because all oh, you're going to lose possession type of thing so th- I think that's where 
the battle lines have been drawn. I think historically, I wouldn't necessarily have this down as an obvious thing that fans hate. They, they might do after the event, but more often than not, fans would be encouraging players to shoot from a certain, once they get oh, to a I certain... I don't know. I think I, this is an anti-urging, this scenario. Well, it depends on the on the context, I think. But like, once you player. get... To, yeah, once you get to a certain point, I think there would definitely be a percentage of the crowd who would who would indulge in the odd shoot. But I think in these times, there's more. There is a bit more of a push and pull between the between the fans who want the players to to you know get it out wide or keep the ball or whatever. And there you know, there are probably fans who are anti passing it along the back who would prefer a player just to have at least a, he's having a go. Yeah. And I think he's right to call it the Vincent Company effect, though, as well. I think that still does that example still does loom in the in the mind, probably of a lot of players, but certainly of of fans. It's a very clear cut scenario, Charlie. It's similar pretty much every time they have space to run into, and and the game state might be a situation where they're looking for a goal and they've you know they've run out of avenues. But to me, the real issue, the real thing that brings about the anti-urging for them to shoot is the tentativeness with which they do it. It's almost a bit like, well, the, the space is opening up. Should I? Could I? Shall I give it a go? And that and that, and that never works. But if you do a Vincent Company where it's just like, get the ball out in front of you and properly go for it and properly look like you're going to score because they've all wow. got the technique to do it in theory. But you, you say that. He had a lot of time to think about that one. He wasn't sure. He takes mm. an extra touch before he scores that, before he but scores that goal. Wise, it was he was committed. He didn't just sort of swing a boot at it. Oh, you know? yeah. Once he decided, sure, yeah. One thing that comes to mind when I think about this is that when they do go for it and they come close, so if it hits the bar or hits the post or the keeper makes a great save, like, I feel it more. I'm, gu- I'm gutted for them because you know that, that was they're probably never going to mm. come that close again. There was Car- Carragher's last game. He, he hit he hit one oh, from right. 30 yards and it hit the bar, I think, for his last game for Liverpool. And I remember Sean Dyche for Watford. I, th- I think it was a game against Plymouth in in one of his seasons for us and he hit you know Sean Dyche was like the ultimate clogger and he just hit one from 30 yards and it hit the bar and you're just like oh that would have been so good if it went in well you say they're cloggers but on the whole Charlie a centre-back's probably really well equipped to have a go at this because there's a lot of heft behind those shots I mean they're not all sort of specialists like Robert Huth for example who had sort of this weird little reputation for having a hit on him but I think if you're if you're six foot three and you're well built and you're designed to be hoofing the ball away generally anyway i think i think it's in your armory anyway i think you should should be allowed should be permitted yeah but i think what it almost gets to uh the nub of this because yes you can hit the ball bloody hard but the margin for error is quite small and so there's a decent chance you're going to just leather it well over the bar i mean no no one's doubting no one's doubting their ability to reach the goal or to hit the ball hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's that it could be great, but the chances are what you're doing most of the time is smashing it away, which is a very different skill from kind of finding the top corner. The final layer to this, Dave, is there are portions of the game where this is very acceptable, which is probably like the opening 10 minutes where you could term that shot a sighter and, and the crowd are always well behind it. It uh, gives a nice bit of applause, no matter how high or wide and handsome it goes. But later in the game, if indeed you are searching for a goal and you've run out of ideas, this situation gets a lot of derision from the fans, but it becomes more of a symbolic moment. It's cited by the co-commentator at that very moment as the as the specific point where that team ran out of ideas. And it gets mentioned in match reports afterwards as well. It's like, that was the moment when they attempted one from 35 yards. and so that's, But essentially, this game was all over. Yeah. So it's a symbolic thing. 
Yeah, the amount of times, yeah, you just, you, as fans, you in the stands, you go, no, not there, no, not no, think about it. Yeah, and knowing you're giving the goalkeeper carte blanche to just take ages over the goal kick and all of that. Like, that's, a, that's a huge deal, is that? You're essentially wasting your own time, yeah. aren't you? In that's some, about um, a minute, <laughs> about yeah. a minute that, gone. This reminds me, there's a really good example of this. Chelsea 1-0 down to Middlesbrough, very late on in the Carabao semi-final, first leg. And Axel Dizazi, who who it basically could be the archetype for this, because he's there's no way he's going to score, absolutely no way, and it, and it was an away game, so it got even more of the way from yeah, the I'm thinking fans. it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it had all the ingredients of do not do it, and they had run out of ideas as well, which makes it absolutely perfect. Right, irritation of football number two comes from Elliot Binks. Strap in, Charlie Eccleshire. So one of my irritations of football, and I'm sorry if Charlie is guilty of this, is when during a game, journalists tweet out, goal, when a goal goes in. Like if I'm watching the game on Now TV or on TNT Sports or whatever, and there's a two or three minute delay, and then you see a journalist just tweet out, goal, in capital letters. And you're like, why have you done that? Because the only people who want to know there's a goal will be watching the game anyway. And all your followers will be watching the game. If anyone else who isn't that interested might be just looking on the live score app or whatever. So why are you tweeting when there's a goal and ruining it for everyone? I mean, I know I shouldn't be looking at my Twitter feed while I'm watching the game. I'm kind of asking for trouble, but I just don't get why they do it. Now, Charlie, I don't expect you, nor should anyone expect you, to cater to people who are watching on devices that are 90 seconds behind. That's that's not your issue. So let's deal with the, the primary thing here. Why do, you, why do you feel the need to do it at all? Did do you, you feel like less of a journo if you didn't do it? Do you do it? Uh, I'll generally tweet goals out, yeah. You don't have a catchphrase like Phil Hay. No, no, <laughs> I don't. I, no, 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 no. I don't do he, it. He does have a nice little touch of using a little apostrophe for the minutes, which is old school, but not old school enough to feel weird. I think it's a nice little touch. Thanks, yeah. I, I, I do that. Yeah, don't know, that's just sort of instinctive. Um, yeah, just... My my upbringing, I guess I've seen that and like and like it. I think that's something quite nice about it. He was brought up well, this kid. <laughs> I mean, it was like an old doesn't say like mins newspaper. Where your mate? You that. dragged up. Yeah, uh, yeah. Upbringing in a footballing sense. I mean, uh, it's an interesting point he raises that the vet, the only people who will see this are probably people who won't want to see it. That, that is a valid no, that's, point. That, that, that's that a valid, valid point. That, who is it not, for? That's not quite true because there'll be people who are just not watching the game on Twitter. Um, you know, they might be, especially if it's like a three o'clock game, they're not watching it. They're out. And they're they're, just they're only consuming it and via you. They want to fight. Well, I mean, look, I have, listen, I have thought about this before and I do think three o'clock games are slightly different and I will often with those live games I, I I will stop myself and be like what is the point of me saying Kane's just missed a good chance everyone okay, in the world knows that I'm adding literally nothing so I don't and I've reduced that goals yeah there is this weird impulse it is weird like you're adding nothing nothing to the kind of discourse but if you don't tweet it, then nobody's going to know you're there. People are going to think you're not there. Well, there's that. And that's Although the last you, thing you want. You've probably already done a kind of ass covering. It looks from where I'm sitting like they're playing in a 4-2-3-1 with Dida. And there's a good atmosphere at the ground, a way of saying, I am here. Please know that I'm here uh, without explicitly saying that. Yeah, of course. Um, and am I right in thinking you will do a follow up tweet explaining how the goal went yeah. in? Which I guess I would, is more of a service. Yeah. And I will sometimes. Yeah, that's more. And sometimes I will just do that. Do more of the kind of. Great bit of work from Player X in the build-up to that goal. I think you have to do that a bit, otherwise you are literally just telling people something that 
they already know or are about to know. You wouldn't do that in the first one then. You concerned with speed. There's often not time. You want to get out. You want you want you want to be one of the first to break the story that Spurs have just gone ahead <laughs> against Bournemouth. Imagine if someone put it break <laughs> exclusive <laughs> siren. I can think of a few who would do that <laughs> if allowed. As per oh. the stadium announcer, Spurs <laughs> leave Sources understand that a goal has gone in. Um, do you tweet substitutions? I feel like that that's beneath you. Sometimes, but but that that's easier to add value. I think. <laughs> I mean, because it you know you can instantly say something like player X coming on for player Y. I can venture opinion about player Y who's been outstanding today after a poor run of form. Or something like this is a big call that this will surely mean a change of system, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think just doing a player X on for player Y seventy fifth minute is pointless. What about do you, do you tweet about players being readied get ahead of the game again? Some like <laughs> I, I mean that has the smallest of advantages again because they're probably showing it on Sky anyway, but. They might not be, and so you're giving people something that they won't find out about for another 30 (laughs) seconds. That's added value. That's added value. Yeah, especially in a non-televised game. I think uh, think I'll look to do that. Okay. Elliot, thank you for getting in touch. A valuable look (laughs) into the inner workings of of modern football journalism. Uh, Our third and final irritation of football, superb stuff, comes from Bobby. One of my irrational hatreds of football is when a player is about to take a throw-in, but their teammate comes over to take the throw-in instead. So the player that was going to take the throw-in originally throws the ball over their head like a throw-in to their teammate that is about to take the throw. So the reason that I hate that so much is that it just makes me so irrationally anxious. Like if the ref is being particularly mean or a bit of a job's worth that day and decides, no, that was a throw-in, you know, you've got to play on now. Or if the player that is now going to take the throw-in picks up the ball, what if the ref is like well no he took the throw in that's now handball and that's a free kick and I think I hate it the most when my team do it because of that but it is just I just it makes me so anxious and I hate it Dave I don't know if it says more about the way I consume football but I I have a real I real preference for these kind of troubled souls sort of stories coming about sort of anxiety inducing micro moments of football and this is so bang on it doesn't happen very often because players I have to say players don't often choose to pass a ball to someone to take a throw in in that way very often but sometimes it's almost like the most efficient way for them to do it and I have to say at that moment I share the anxiety of Bobby there what I mean the referees a referee could conceivably do it they could but yeah imagine I mean they're 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 so lenient with foul throws anyway in in the you know the professional level whatever it would be astonishing if they did it but I I do in, I do know exactly what Bobby means, and there's, there's almost an art to doing it. Though there's like there's an art to like throwing it over your head, but not properly, it, <laughs> like demonstrably not <laughs> taking it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, it, make it really ca- look. If you like, almost just uh, pop it, exaggeratedly pop it casual. Yeah, right. you just there's a way of doing it. Sometimes you kind of amazing. drop. You kind of almost they almost uh, drop it behind themselves. So they'll yeah, 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 roll yeah, down their back, yeah, yeah, yeah. puff yeah, their cheeks the out, way. walk away, yeah. but, but the, n- not on a very efficient way of doing it. Is all I would say. But what Bobby's saying actually m- reminds me of two things: one relevant to that, and one relevant to an earlier uh, entry. One is th- that anxiety I get when a player is taking ages over a throw-in, kills me, and you're just like, take it, please take it, please, because take it. you can see because they're going to get booked for time, and you can see the refs doing the sort of like, come on, come on, and they're still taking ages, and especially at the start of this season when there was this big clampdown on time wasting and all of that stuff, it re- I'd be like, please, please just take it. Linked to the fact, with that five yellow card book, it, I'd just be like, 
you're going to get it. You're going to get booked. And then you're going to get your five bookings. And I'm going to mm. remember this moment and think, yeah. why did you take ages over that throw in? And that's why yeah. you can't play in this game this weekend. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, I feel like this also happens with kind of short free kicks mm. in a team's own half, Dave. If, if a player sort of taps it to a teammate, so you take mm. it. I fear. I mean, that that could. That's more likely within the rules of the game to be deemed by the referee a touch because you know gamesmanship could perceived gamesmanship could come into play here, and the referee going, they're taking it." Um, yeah, I feel like players should be pulled up for this. You, you should you should push it with your hand or something. Well, especially or roll with, it with your studs with the um, you know, the old the old corner trick which has been mm. deployed occasionally. How do you feel about that? Do you, I mean, Michael Cox, of course recently uh, tweeted an example of this and it, it wasn't for it um, he didn't use the word shithousery but that's where he was going with it I think it, yeah I think it is a bit naff it is rubbish it, yeah it? it's a bit it's a bit shit but you know if you get away with it and it works then fair enough but I do but why, but why do why did teams do it there and not in other positions I suppose it's just you just there's never another position where the other team would be as switched off or concentrate on other things as, as corners. Yeah, yeah. But no, I do, I do. Again, I do think that sometimes that is an area where you think, oh, uh, have you taken it there? Well, there was one. Uh, Liverpool scored one against Sunderland, I think it was, where the defender did what he thought was a kind of roll back to the keeper to take it. The mm. ref ruled that he had taken the free kick. And Cal and Torres combined. I think it was Torres t- sort of latched onto it, passed it to Coit, uh, and he scored. And it was a big controversy. Well, this is a very interesting technical point. We, you know, I mentioned in passing a minute ago, you know, that you know a referee could conceivably deem it to be the taking of a free kick. But if it wasn't, and the referee deemed that it was, and play continues. Like a player is going to have, it's possibly the most sincere appeal from a player you could ever get. It'd be like, I didn't take it. I genuinely like, didn't. I cannot express this enough. I yeah. promise I didn't take that free kick. It would be the most heartfelt appeal a, a player could ever give to a referee, Charlie. Yeah, and I imagine Michael Turner's on that day were were in that way, unless he was trying to have his cake and eat it. You know, like when players take a quick free kick and then it goes wrong, and they're like, Oh, actually, no, no, I'll have it back. Maybe it was one of them, and maybe the ref saying like, No, I'm onto you. I know what you're doing. I, I just. I don't know what my appeal would be to the referee in, in that situation, Dave. I'll be like, I wouldn't take it yeah. like that. I just wouldn't. Yeah. I just, look at the way I did it. it. How dare you? Do you think I'd, I'd pass it so that annoyed. casually if I was taking it? Which I think would be a very compelling appeal as well. It's like, no way would I. Why would I? I think that's. A, I think referee would actually reverse his decision based on that. I, I genuinely think he would. Don't you I know who I am? <laughs> Haven't you seen me take a short free kick before? Look, here's me taking a short free kick. I'll show you how I would have done it. And you can yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, sort of paranoia invoking MHD entries are always going to get to the front of the queue on these monthly ones, as far as I'm concerned. Fantastic stuff from our listeners. Really, really enjoyed that. Well done to you, Charlie Ecosher. Great analysis. Thank you. Welcome back, Dave. Glad you're in one piece. Thank you. Good to be back. Thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back on Tuesday. See ya. Podcast Network.